Welcome to the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series podcast. Each week, we'll learn from leaders who are driving change and making an impact. Now here's your host, the CEO of the Youngstown Publishing Company, Jeff Leo Herman. I have the pleasure today of introducing our guest on the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series podcast, Ms. Sarah Boyarko. Sarah is currently the Chief Operating Officer of the Youngstown Warren Regional Chamber, and she also has another full-time job. She's the Senior Vice President of Economic Development for the Chamber. She's extremely busy, and we carved out some time and had a pretty deep and interesting conversation around economic development and what we can do to put our best foot forward to grow our regional economy. I was very impressed by the role of servant leadership and her philosophy on servant leadership and really always doing what's best for the team and doing what's best uh, on behalf of the company she's working with both to, to attract and retain. So thank you for joining us today and here's Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series podcast. We are thrilled to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into the uh, questions. Everyone wants to know, what did you want to be as a child? What were you aspiring to do growing up? So I don't know that I recall ever having a, an interest in a specific career growing up. Um, I was a pretty active child, and I think that um, one day it might have been a teacher, and the next day it might have been something else. Um, I do know that growing up, I very much enjoyed uh, opportunities with my parents volunteering or being active in the community. And um, I'm a people person, so I like right. to work with people. Uh, I very much like to organize things and um, figure out puzzles and Were work on a project. Were you involved in sports? Like on team projects, they always said, well, let's have Sarah join us because she'll actually help us get things done. Well, I don't know if that occurred, but um, we did play soccer and softball and different things growing up like that, yes. Did you thrive in that team-based setting, that collaborative setting? So oddly enough, I think um, I have maybe changed as an individual in the team approach from individual work. Um, so I was, I would say, that student that would volunteer to do the whole project mm -hmm. <laughs> because I wanted it to be done a specific way. Right. I have somewhat right. of a type A personality um, and wanted to, for it to be done on time. So I would volunteer to do all the work. I know that that's not a realistic approach today and those are you know, some things that you learn over time. Um, and I think that my uh, team approach and style of leadership has changed over time. Okay, so there is hope for type A personalities. Absolutely. Because yeah, the, the I'll do it, I, I want it done my way, it's a certain way. I, you know, those are great traits and characteristics when we're younger, right? Sure. And, and even when we see children or students these days that are taking charge, taking command, taking the entire project, that's great, but is, that's probably not something that plays well longer term, correct? Is it? it doesn't. I think there needs to be a nice balance. Um, and I think that what I've discovered over time in maturing as an individual and maturing through my career is there are you know things that have to be done together. And taking right. the approach of working with your peers and your colleagues is always going to have the best outcome. Is there someone in your life that's influenced you over time, a memory that stuck with you? Like, for example, my produce manager, Matt Fish from Giant Eagle in Brookfield, <laughs> when I was in 12th grade, I think, taught me a lesson that I, to this day, Matt Fish has no idea that I think about him often. Do you have mm -hmm. anyone like that in your life? 
You know, I think if we look back at um, growing up and our experience in school, whatever the grade was, we all probably have impactful teachers uh, over the years, maybe for a variety of reasons. But um, I can tell you a story that, you know, one day I was sitting at my desk and I got a phone call and it was a teacher from high school that I had just recently been promoted um, to senior vice president of economic development at the chamber. And, um, you know, it kind of caught me off guard. Uh, wasn't maybe my favorite subject, but he did a really nice job of making it a fun class and um, taking the time with the students individually to make sure that we were succeeding. But uh, he had just wanted to reach out and tell me that he was proud of me and that he um, had watched my career over time and just to say hello. And I thought it was very heartwarming and it's fantastic. Yeah. And he, he feels that makes him feel good as well. So the role of educators in our lives, you have no idea or they potentially have no idea that a student mm -hmm. that potentially is just sitting in their classroom, one of, you know, 20 to 30 that given year could go on to do great things. And, and the role of those educators in our lives that lasts it's forever. So that they play Absolutely. an important role in, in kind of how we develop as, as uh, professionals, for sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as a child, it's taking the time with the student and really connecting with them. And I think that that, you know, there's a whole variety of other teachers that I think um, did take the time to do that or guidance counselors and things like that. But that was just a small example of a touch. I thought it was nice. a, a touching experience. Absolutely. Okay. So did you have anyone you looked up to as a child? Who did you want to model? say, an adult, a teacher, some type of career person? Um, so I would say one of the things that will maybe be one of, a part of the outcome of our conversation today is I've really tried to be a sponge and capture a lot of input from adults um, and or individuals, my peers. Uh, as a child, I would say naturally I would obviously include my parents in that. Mm -hmm. um, my mom and dad were always very encouraging of um, how we went about, uh, individually to my siblings and myself, how we went about selecting a career and what educational institution we went to. There was never that I recall a mandatory, you need to go to college, but you need to be educated in a skill or a, or, um, a trade and you need to be able to take care of yourself, you need to be a productive part of society. All of those things occurred. Um, I think that all of that was very helpful to us. Uh, my parents were uh, business leaders in the community growing up, uh, restaurant tours for many years, and you know that's where we worked. That's a tough business. It right? is. It's very it's time consuming. None of us. Late nights. My siblings and my, none of us are doing that work today. Oh, it's right. very time consuming. Um, but all a very good lesson on um, work ethic and customer service, how important customer service is. And I think all three of us took away a whole variety of experiences growing up and working with our parents. That's a very hands-on type of per pursuit, correct? I mean, Absolutely. if the dishwasher doesn't show up, someone's gonna wash the sure. dishes still, right? Absolutely. And those were some of the things that, you know, if um, another employee was unable to come in or called off, we were the first ones to go in. And as a teenager, it's not maybe something that you want to hear, but as an adult, you look back and think that was the right lesson that my parents taught us. We had to you know, get up out of bed on a Saturday and go in and cover whatever shift that was. So right. yes. Right. Oh, that's a great experience. Do you, do you see that happening today? Do you feel like that um, there are parents setting that example, leading by example and, and pulling their kids into family-oriented businesses? 
Do you see that around town? Absolutely. So when we look at the business community as a whole and um, as an individual working at the chamber, I obviously have an opportunity to work with businesses every day um, from uh, very small businesses to large corporations. And it really is evident when there is family ownership that the family is involved. So there's, there are always trade-offs between family ownership, right? It can be fantastic, but then bad at the same time. Because sure, Thanksgiving dinners can get awkward and I'm sure, Yes. I'm sure that in my adult um, activity or my career, we've seen it all. Right. We've seen great circumstances or examples and examples maybe that are not very good for that individual family. Um, I think that, you know, we talk about generational ownership and significant success in first generation and, you know, gradually declining. There's examples of that in our community and there's examples of um, second and third generation still being very successful. So it really just, I think, depends on each individual and their um, work ethic and how they run their business. Right, right. The role of family does play a big role in, in the longevity of the business, mm-hmm. especially, you know, those. Um, we've found that local leaders and local influences and family influences really do play, a, of the people we've talked to so far, play a big role in who children have modeled. And so I haven't heard yet many people say that, you know, I modeled President Carter, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, but did you have anyone that you modeled, like any figure national or global, or was it really just the, the value you captured from the life, the family perspective? Um, so I would say when I look at leaders in responding to your question, you know, nationally, globally, for me at least, it's who I have impact or who has impacted me on a daily basis. Who do I have? direct communication with. And I think that in my role today or in my time at the chamber, those individuals that I think I have been so fortunate to learn from are the business leaders in the community. So I am continually impressed with um, our outreach and having an opportunity to sit down with them and learn of all the great things that they're doing. There are so many things in this community that no one even hears about. Right. Well, name one, like what, name one example, share with us. So I think that you know, in looking at uh, the opportunity that we have to go out and visit with companies um, on a daily basis through our business retention expansion program to ensure that companies have what they need, um, that they're retained in our community, that they have the resources to grow. Uh, all of those types of individuals are taking the time out of their busy day to sit down with me and that continues to impress me. These are important people in the community. Um, and then looking at the opportunities for the attraction projects and these significant size global firms that we get to attract to the market and looking at the interesting stories that they have internally. Um, One example that I can think of that uh, really has, and again, there's many great things going on, but just one, I think, more recent project that we worked on that has um, something that was very noticeable to me internally is um, the TJX Home Goods Project. So we obviously worked with them for a number of years behind the scenes and close to two and a half years prior to them even coming to the market. So having the opportunity to work with them and meet their executives and really have a um, introductory example or, or firsthand experience in communicating with these folks that many of which started in a right. retail center. Right. So there is truly a, a noticeable or evident career path for someone that's working at a retail center here, whether they're stocking shelves or emptying a truck or sweeping the floor, 
and growing within the organization, um, it's, it's happening at other companies, but it was unbelievably evident in the numbers of people that have grown within that organization. Was there something unique? Was there something, a unique competitive advantage that we had that wanted the TJX project, for example? So it's about the right location. Um, if you don't have the right location, someone can go anywhere, right. right? And we need to make sure that our locations are what companies need and we're presenting all of the facts in a timely manner. Um, because if you don't have the property, somebody else will. I think an additional driving factor for them was access to workforce. So mm -hmm. we really had to present all of the details and all of the facts around our current available workforce. And if we didn't meet a specific criteria, how are we going to help them get to that point? So it really, again, is, you know, we go back to that problem solving or the puzzle, if you will, and putting all the pieces together. Right, right. Do they look to, say, the regional chamber for leadership on now that they've selected the site, what, what do they look to from the regional chamber to help them, you know, have a successful project? So we've continued to work with them on a whole variety of ways um, on their, their construction and access to individual service providers in the market, whether that, again, is construction or procurement with regard to their facility long term. So how are they getting resources for all of the site work and building their building? And we worked with them through that process. And now they're having a lot more conversation around where they're going to buy their office equipment from and their tables and chairs and all of those sorts of things. Again, those long-term relationships that they'll build in the community. Oh, excellent. You know, we're gonna dig into your leadership style and philosophy. Mm -hmm. So do you have, you say when you're meeting, you know, you, you work with a lot of stakeholders. You have a lot of stakeholders in this community. Mm -hmm. Some, and I would assume, lead through example and influence. Uh, what what style do you use from a leadership standpoint to help drive projects forward and get things done? So in responding to that question, I would imagine that the great majority of leaders today uh, probably have something that they, or an approach that they would typically use, but they're bleeding into other areas or other styles. That just mm -hmm. is the way things work. For me, I go back to um, more of a team approach and maybe a democratic style if we're really truly looking at the definition of leadership styles. Um, but I'll stick a little strategy in there as well, only because if we have a task um, and we're creating that response or putting a package together for a company and it's a team approach, what are, once we make a decision on what's going to occur, what are the next steps and what's the strategy to push that forward? Mm -hmm. It's because probably data driven too, right? Much of it, yes. But I think that whether it's a project or just anything internally that we might be working on as an organization, um, again, gathering all of the input, making a decision, and then having clear, concise steps to move forward with that strategy um, to ensure a positive outcome. And so a very detailed and well-documented project plan with milestones and next steps that tends to help from a leadership standpoint, right? Absolutely. Because it's, it's not just like you can't will these things through pure energy and excitement. It really has to be a disciplined, pragmatic, documented approach, it sounds like. Absolutely. So I will say that there's a very, um, we can be as proactive as we want to be, but there really is a very high level of response. So the companies already have in mind exactly what they need um, for the most part, uh, and what they want. So we're constantly sending facts and figures and information 
naturally um, with uh, our long history of doing that work, we're going to be, in addition to that, pushing out additional things that they might not be thinking of or they might not be aware of or helping to tell that story locally. And that, again, is on a, an economic development project side of things. So that's a little bit different. If we're doing you know, a project internally here at the chamber, um, the, let me think of something, uh, the Opportunity Zone Perspectus that um, Lauren Johnson led in our uh, organization and we did partner with you know some of our economic development peers to create that and that's a perfect example of uh, again that team approach so the chamber took the lead in creating the document and organizing the meetings and um, generating the conversation and then we reached out to the uh, economic development peers and communities in the market that were directly or could be directly impacted within those zones um, to get their feedback what would they like include? So we, to include? So we created a strategy around that. How was that going to happen? Uh, what questions were we going to ask? How are we going to generate the interest and or feedback from those individuals in the community? And then putting it all together um, in one comprehensive piece. So there's less selling, right? So you really, I, I, I'm kind of hung up on this. Can you really sell in this area of economic development or the data speaks for itself, and it's really about the strategy and the, and the collaborative effort and just the progress, right, together, mm -hmm. right? That, so you really can't, like, it's not a pitch, if you will, right? So that, I have to get that. No, there's 100% opportunity to sell. Okay. Absolutely. So you, it, spinning is such that it's, the, but it's data driven, right? And it's locations are locations, right? Mm -hmm. and, Logistics are logistics, so you really can't spin that out. It's, oh, it's just interesting trying to tease out the role of... Well, I think it's more of doing our homework here locally and reaching out strategically. It's not just a throw it out and yeah, see what yeah. sticks by any means. You're wasting time and money doing that. Right. It's who's already here and who's not here. Where are there missing or where are there holes in supply chains? Mm -hmm. So if we look at a specific industry, who's not here yet? And can one of our local companies fill that hole, or mm -hmm. maybe two companies partnering to fill that hole, or are we going to utilize our business leaders to partner with us and go out and try to attract that here? So if I use an example of, you know, we've got, you've got a, an end product and there's a, there's a painting component to it, right? So we have the raw materials, we have the manufacturing here, it's going across the country for painting, very generic example, obviously, right. across the country for painting and then coming back here for um, assembly and uh, distribution. That makes zero sense. Right, right. So how do we get that other component here? Because no one else is doing it yet. So our role, one of our additional roles in, um, at the chamber is you know, that business to business matchmaking, whatever that might look like. So can we bring some business leaders together within that industry and say, does anyone want to take this on? Right. Can we help you take this on? Do two of you want to partner? Or will you partner with us to go see if that company will invest right. in our market? So that so macro view gives you that perspective to bring folks together. Absolutely. So gaps. if the supply chain, the closer the supply chain is, the more productive the company can be, the more money that they can invest in their business, the more money they can save, the more people they can hire. So it all is connected. So Sarah, I want to clarify something. Sure. As someone representing the business community, the role of sales and salesmanship, that could be dangerous, correct? Like overselling could be dangerous when you're working with a prospective organization. 
Sure. So I think, well, there certainly is an opportunity to sell our market, and that's what we do every day. I really never thought of it that way, and I've had a a gentleman that I got to work with on a project in the past that had said, you know, you're really good at sales, and I said, I'm not, I'm not a salesperson in my head, and I'm thinking, well, yes, that is obviously a major part of what I do. Um, I think that there's got to be again that balance of sales but with factual information. Right. So um, there are circumstances or examples over the years um, in working on projects where I have seen other communities lose deals because of the overselling mm-hmm. or the inaccurate information presented. Thankfully for us, it came here. Um, but that's why we, um, it's very important to us to be working for the business community. The Chamber is a business organization, and one of the things I think that all of us learn over time, anyone in economic development, hopefully, is to how to read the experience, how to read the business leader that you're working with, because it's different every time. Um, You need to be able to respond in a timely fashion with factual data and information to ensure that the company is making the right decision. Right. And all of us want them to make the right decision. If they land here, that's great. If they don't happen to land here and it's the better business decision for that, we still need to support that because that company will then be sustainable and maybe it creates opportunities for our community for employment. If, for example, if it's just outside of our market, um, we have individuals that can work there, our suppliers can work with them, our um, service providers can work with them as well. So we have to look at every opportunity that we can generate Right. So there are downstream effects, positive effects, Absolutely. right? If someone chooses Portage or Summit County, that's not too far away. And right. So. And that has happened over the years. There's been a time or two, and I'll use Western Pennsylvania as the example. Um, there's been an occasion or two where the company just could not come here. There was not a property that met their needs, and I slowly f- felt it slipping away. So we made the decision to make an introduction one step out. So if you're not going to come here, let's talk about who we can introduce you to in our surrounding area. Um, Again, going back to my previous comment, our workforce can go there and get a job. Our suppliers, our construction providers, whoever it might be, can still work with that individual company in that community. So we have had some wins that way, and it's come back our direction as well. So there's been opportunities in Western Pennsylvania that have not worked out and those individuals have made introductions to us and the companies ultimately have grown in our market. So, you know, it goes both ways and over the over time there's a handful of examples. Um, but we need to work with our peers to make sure things right. can happen. Right. Well, we want to transition into your uh, things you've learned and perhaps leadership mistakes you'd like to share. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, we're going to take a break and thank our sponsors of the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series podcast. The Brain Gain is a collaborative effort, and we'd like to thank the headlining members of the coalition, including Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Moransky Companies, and the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition. Also included are Farmers Bank Group, Youngstown State University, Eastern Gateway Community College, the DeBartolo Corporation, Cortland Bank, MS Consultants, and 898 Marketing. I think it's pretty obvious we all learn by our mistakes. So have you had any leadership mistakes you've made over time and what perhaps have you learned from that experience? So 
you know, I don't know that I would consider this a mistake, but it definitely is something that um, I learned over time. And I go back to me mentioning that I sort of had that type A personality. And um, as I've gone through my career and understanding that I cannot do it all, um, transitioning as an individual into more of a collaborative team approach, I think is something that uh, I've learned over time and it probably did hinder me um, or hinder things for me prior to where I am today. But that's part of maturing and part of getting older. You um, see where there might be an obstacle in a way you're doing something and if you are able to change that or figure out, out, figure out how to change it, um, that's a positive. So I think, again, changing my style, changing right. the leadership style and how I conduct myself and do my work on a daily basis. It's always a good idea to get input. Um, and like I said, you can't do it all. So instead of like taking over and saying, this is the way it should be done, perhaps revisiting it with the individuals and to say, well, let's take another approach, but how about maybe suggesting some different approaches, leaving it out there and not providing too many clues, like how many clues do you provide to help them? Do you want them to get there independently or is it more or less, well, if we did A, B, and C, you know, that then that'll satisfy the You know, I think it, it really varies depending upon the individual project that you're working on. And if it's an internal organizational project, um, you know, it, a leader needs to know, uh, and maybe all of us don't all the time, but they need to know the room we talked about reading people they need to know what is the ultimate goal and how do we go about getting there so i think that that is a major part of it and some cases it is going to be starting out feeding some information or just you know a blank slate and doing a good brainstorming session so we do a lot of that at our organization um where are your whiteboard sarah I don't have, somebody else has one. Okay, that's good, see? <laughs> we Keep have, your office we have, clean. Keep we have multiple people, yeah. ones throughout the yeah, office. I didn't have as much uh, wall space in yeah, here yeah, because well, these wonderful nice, windows. It's very well decorated, but uh, yeah, the whiteboard, that's that's where it all happens, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That's good. Yeah, that's, uh, I spend too much time in front of a whiteboard and sometimes almost enjoy it. <laughs> to a point where there he goes again with the whiteboard. So. From that standpoint, um, being very collaborative, being very data-driven, mm -hmm. practical, pragmatic, letting the facts speak for themselves, do you feel like that's helped the region? Is, does the region need more of this from a leadership standpoint? Do you feel like everyone's pretty well aligned on this approach to attracting and retaining businesses and seeing our regional economy grow? So I think that there's always room for more communication um, and each individual leader in the community needs to be mindful of uh, the what was accomplished and how we got there. It was not because of one single individual, but it was more of a we approach. So when we look at an economic development project as an example, there is a specific and defined lane or role for each organization, right? So. One of them might be workforce related, one of them might be site driven, another might be financing. So uh, all of those collectively are what is uplifting the community and resulting in an accomplishment or a win, if you will, on an economic development project. Um, I think if we all take a step back and I try to do this internally here at the chamber, um, who are we working on these projects with 
uh, and being mindful that these younger folks that we're working with are our future leaders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uplifting those individuals for the work that they're doing and their accomplishments, um, and again, celebrating the collective win that's occurring in the market. Right, so one thing we've noticed, and this is just pure observation, is that have you had a problem with very successful businesses that intentionally love flying below the radar? And this happens, right? There are extremely successful companies and individuals in those companies that do not care to celebrate success. However, through a collaborative effort on important projects like this, that could add a big element to, say, a, a proposal to get a new company. So have you ever run into that? No, um, I think that, you know, it is all in due time. I think that, yes, there are companies in our market that don't want um, to have uh, the attention. They just kind of want to do their, go about their business, and, and that's okay. Um, I think that they offer support in other ways. Again, that might not be visual to the community. Um, those are some of the companies that we reach out to and partner with and collaborate with behind the scenes to attract new opportunity. So we do get quite a bit of uh, intelligence from them on their industry, their supply chain, and how they might be able to help make introductions. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a benefit no matter what it is. It might not be the big event and the exciting celebration. I'd say more often than not, companies are certainly interested in doing that, especially for their employees, because they're wanting to celebrate their employees. Again, we go back and look at all of our own influences mm -hmm. and the leaders that we took things from throughout our lifetime. And these individuals that are working for them, again, are gonna be their future leaders within their company possibly. So there is definitely a, an, an interest in celebrating their employees. We actually have companies in our market that purposely have picked Saturdays for events to celebrate their expansions or their new projects so they can include their whole families ah, right, right, right. for their employees. Nice. Ohio Star Forge is a perfect example of that. They have been um, you know, strategically growing over many years and the last few years have selected to have their events on a Saturday so the employees can invite all their family members. It just is a very nice approach. Right. No, agreed. Agreed. You know, I'm, I heard the word communication. What is the regional chamber doing to increase and improve, improve communication because that you're right it's it's we live in such a noisy world mm -hmm. and a lot of projects probably are unfolding it's premature to communicate broadly but at the same point there's a there's a fine line there right i mean how do you manage that balance um so i think that i'm thinking of a few different responses when we're talking about communication so with our peers we're communicating with our peers every day. So right. the folks that we work with on those projects, there's conversations every single day, multiple times a day. Um, again, some of that might not be seen visually, but as some of those things come together. When we talk about communication with the companies and what the companies want to do and whatnot, the companies, you know, the, it's their show. When can you start communicating more broadly about an exciting new project? Like there's a, it seems like there's often a quiet period, like it's a secret. There's clear, defined reasons behind why things are confidential yeah. when we're working with a project. And there's a whole variety of things. Um, first off, uh, they've not possibly, maybe they have not yet gone through the incentive process. So there's a lot of resources, whether it be local, uh, regional, or state, uh, possibly federal, that there are very specific requirements that a company has to go through or um, for the lack of a better explanation, hoops to jump through 
And all of that oftentimes needs to be accomplished before anything goes public. So there are specific reasons why companies keep confidentiality. Um, they keep confidentiality to keep real estate pricing down. Mm -hmm. They don't want to come into a market, everyone hears what's going on, and then all of a sudden acreage or a building is three times the price that it was prior to them coming here. Everyone deserves to come into, you know, buying a home. We wouldn't want to be spending three times what it should right. be just because someone hears we might want to buy it. Right. So that's one issue. Um, you know, we've run into issues in the past where companies are uh, distributing a product. Now they think they might want to manufacture that product. So there's clearly a sensitivity around who they're currently their buying workforce. their product right. from right. and what uh, that might look like in that timing. So um, we, we would hate for there to be a hiccup in their business, right? So they'd like to go through things quietly. Um, and then I'll be honest with you, this is what I think is closer to the top of the list. All of those things are very important and clearly explain a reason why companies keep confidentiality. Um, they're investing sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars and they want to make their own announcement at the appropriate time. Right, right. We all need to be respectful of the fact that they're the ones creating the jobs, they're the ones making the investment, they're building a building, buying a building, um, putting machinery equipment in it and doing all of these great things. It's not our place to be making it without them right. leading that Makes message. a lot of sense. Absolutely. Right. They have to take advantage of the timing and the, the appropriate PR hit. Mm -hmm. Could be publicly traded. There are implications around sure. disclosures. There's, those are just a few examples right. of why. Um, and if a company just says, because I say it is, that's fine okay. with me. Right? So since it's just the two of us sitting yeah. here, do you have any like projects coming up that, that you can just share? Just no one else will know. I don't have any I can share. Oh, I can tell okay. you that we continue to, um, right now our pipeline is plentiful. Good. Um, it's all industrial. So it's companies that are distributing one or more products, manufacturing one or more products. Um, I would say right now it's a little bit heavier on the expansion side. So it's local companies growing. Great. Um, we do have a few uh, attraction projects in the mix. It's a little bit slow in the decision-making process right now from that list because of everything that has gone over the past few months with COVID. Um, but, you know, the, the total value of that pipeline, so everyone's investment altogether in real estate, machinery and equipment, um, is uh, nearly $1.8 billion of pending investment. So that's of significant. Of new incremental beyond the scope of the current projects Correct. happening, which are GMLG. That is not included in it, right? So should those all happen in our market, and I feel fairly confident that the great majority of them will, again, because they're expansion. So there's so a high probability. So those are far down the pipeline. It's really just a matter of... They just need to make a decision. Wow. So they have, with our assistance, identified a property. So the real estate component probably is in every single case on that list is already dealt with. They just need to pull the trigger. Um, have either gone through or are in the final stages of going through that sort of incentive approval process and those sorts of things. And then, you know, there's a waiting period just to determine, you know, they've got everything in front of them and we're just waiting. Right. Um, should all of that come here, I mean, there's a potential of um, almost 2,000 new jobs to our market. And again, um, it could be 10 here, 50 here, 200 here. It really is kind of a mix. And the likely, like I said, the likelihood of it all occurring in our market is fairly high. 
simply based on the fact that the majority of the list right now is expansions. So to close up, do you have any favorite leadership books that you've read over time or that you're currently reading? Anything you'd like to share? So um, I would say the majority of what I make time to read uh, in my spare time is probably industry relative or related to specific industry activity um, as well as organizational. Um, so maybe not something from a specific leader, but a community um, or an industry piece. I would say that you, know, you can always learn from others' mistakes mm -hmm. as well as their accomplishments. And I think that there's so much information out there to generate new ideas for this community and right-size them for this community. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Right. Um, what are other communities doing? So all of us at our organization really take the time to uh, be paying attention to what's going on in other markets in Ohio as well as outside of Ohio and seeing how we can maybe right-size something for our community. One book that I will say that I think has been a good tool for me over the years is um, the Vest Pocket CEO. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Our president and CEO um, gave me a copy of it many years ago, and it's a um, uh, a tangible resource for a whole variety of um, business issues that you might come across as a leader, and they're giving you actually real life examples. So, how did Company X get through this issue? And and um, it's really kind of a neat thing. So again, it's not maybe a specific example that, you know, here's Sarah, here's the answer. Yeah. But it's reading how someone got through a uh, business issue, marketing issue, personnel issue, whatever it is, and how do you relate that to your business Excellent. on a daily basis. Excellent. Do you, uh, I'm looking around, looking for a quote on your wall. Do you have any leadership quotes or anything that you look to to inspire you every day? I know there are the cheesy posters out there that, you know, have like the lion on the mountain. <laughs> Do you have any you of those? You know what? Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything in here. Right. Um, and I think, you know, when you think about something like that or, you know, sit back and think about that, those sorts of things really need to speak to you as a person. Right. Um, you know, maybe give you goosebumps or um, are relative to what you're doing or something that you want to learn. I think for me, um, one of the things that was like an aha moment or like, you know, again, something I've learned over the years is um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I'm sure many people have heard that. But mm -hmm. for me as an individual, and I you know, go back to that team approach and what I have learned from so many business leaders in the market, um, whether I'm working with those companies today or they are past employers that I have had or current employer, um, I think that culture in, within an organization is so vitally important. You could have the best strategy in the world right. or multiple strategies within your company. And if you don't have a good culture, you're never going to succeed or you're right. never going to be able to move forward with those strategies. You're going to continue to stumble and take steps back. So I think, again, you know, this is a business and we need to make sure that individuals are um, understanding of the approach. But I think you can have a really good work culture and that team approach and be excited to come to work every day. And you need to figure out how you do that for your employees. Excellent. Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Before we go, I'd like to thank members of the Brain Gain Coalition, especially our great sponsors. Without them, none of this would be possible. So a big thank you goes to Sweeney, Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, 
the Moransky Companies, and the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition. Thanks so much for their support. And also, please follow, like, and subscribe to this series on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, just go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn, one of my favorite places. You can find me over there at Jeff Leo Herman and send me a message. I will see you next time. I'm growing up in this life And to the human that I need to be I know that I am not alone I'm